Hi, I'm Bree. And I'm Haley. And this is Calendar of Crime, where each week we examine a case from this week in history. Today's case is from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, where on May 9th, 1994, a successful high school senior with a bright future ahead of her never came home and has never been seen again. To this day, people in her small town are still wondering what happened to Clashindra Denise Hall. Clashindra Denise Hall, known as Clea to her family and friends, was born on March 30, 1976, to Willie and Laurel Hall. By the spring of 1994, she was a happy, well-adjusted high school senior. Clea was an honor roll student who was active in both school and church activities. She sang in the school and the church choir, and she was a member of her school band. She was ranked at the top of her class and had been selected to give the commencement speech for the graduating class of Watson Chapel High School that year. So she was doing the damn thing. Yeah, she was really epitomizing living life to its fullest. And she had plenty of plans for the future. She had been accepted at Tennessee State University, where she planned to major in pre-med. She had a long-term goal of becoming a pediatrician and had even secured an internship at a Boston pediatrician's office for the summer. She loved children, and the source material notes that she volunteered in the nursery at her church and could often be seen laughing and playing with the kids. Clea had just had a busy weekend. On Friday, May 6th, she attended her senior prom. On Saturday, the 7th, she attended a sorority ball. And on Sunday, May 8th, she celebrated Mother's Day with her mom, Laurel. Is a sorority ball like a dance? I tried so hard to look this information up to get some more understanding of the event that she went to on Saturday, but there just isn't very much information. I would assume that it is a formal dance, similar to a prom, but probably held at a college. I just couldn't find enough information in the source material to say that with 100% confidence. Uh, It's too bad there's not clearer information out there. Unfortunately, this case has been underreported and underrepresented, and there are discrepancies and missing information in the source material. A pretty huge discrepancy is that a lot of the source material refers to Clea's boyfriend, but her friends and family have said that she didn't have a boyfriend. There was a boy she was friends with that she may have liked, but it didn't seem like he was her official boyfriend, at least not according to those who she was closest with. Clea worked part-time after school for Dr. Larry Amos, who ran an in-home nonprofit, either supporting in-home daycare centers or facilitating food grants. This is another discrepancy in the source material. What we do know for sure, though, is that her job consisted of administrative and clerical work. On the night of May 9, 1994, Laurel dropped Clea off at Dr. Amos's house at 5 p.m. for her scheduled shift. Was her mom dropping her off unusual? No, this was pretty standard. Clea didn't have her own car, and even though she didn't live very far from the Amos residence, she always got a ride to and from work, usually from her mother. She never worked past 10 p.m., and police have said that on that night, there was at least one other person working at the Amos residence. Laurel expected to pick Clea back up sometime before 10 p.m. that night. At 8, Clea called home, but she wasn't looking for a ride home yet. She told her mom that she would call back when she was finished with work, 
and she was just checking to see if anyone had called looking for her. Well, had anyone called looking for her, and should they have been? Nobody had called looking for her, and we don't know who she may have been expecting to call. After that phone conversation, Laurel lay down on the couch while she waited to hear back from Clea. She knew she may doze off, but she also knew that the phone always woke her up when she did, so she wasn't concerned about sleeping through Clea's phone call. Did she somehow end up sleeping through it anyway? Actually, she didn't. Clea never called back. Did something change in her plans? That's a great question and one we don't have an answer to. What we do know is that Laurel was woken up around 12.45 a.m. when Clea's dad, Willie, got home from work. She saw the time and immediately realized that Clea had never called her to come pick her up. Laurel called Dr. Amos's residence right away, and despite the late hour, he answered the phone on the first ring. He told her that Clea had left right around 8.30 p.m. when her ride had arrived. Okay, but what ride? Because it seemed like Laurel was supposed to be her ride. That's what Laurel thought, too. She thought maybe there had been some sort of mistake, but Dr. Amos was adamant that he had seen Clea get into a car around 8.30 p.m., although he wasn't able to provide a description of the car she had gotten into. Even more worrying, Clea had told her coworker that she planned to walk home, which, as we stated before, is something she rarely did. Laurel tried not to panic right away, stating that, quote, I'm thinking, okay, she's never done this before, but she is a teenager and she's 18, about to graduate, so maybe she's decided that she's going to flex her independent muscles. But I stayed up all night because I'm looking out the window thinking, you're going to be in trouble, young lady, when you come home. Daylight came and she wasn't at home. I feel like that's a totally reasonable and natural reaction when you're parenting a teenager. Oh, definitely. I have an 18-year-old daughter, and that's an age in which you do want to allow them to spread their wings, but it doesn't mean that you stop worrying. If I had called my daughter's workplace and been told she had been picked up by someone at a normal time, I probably would have reacted in the exact same way. In the morning, Laurel and Willie checked in with some of Clea's friends, but none of them had seen her. Clea had an early morning band practice that she didn't show up for. Clea's younger brother attended the same high school as her, and as soon as he called home to tell his parents that Clea also hadn't shown up for her morning classes, her parents decided it was time to call the police. They attempted to file a missing persons report at 9 a.m. on May 10, 1994. They attempted to? Well, Clea was 18, so legally she's an adult. And beyond that, the police department told them that they would have to wait until she had been missing for 24 hours in order to file the report. I seriously hate that law enforcement does that. Those first hours are so crucial to an investigation. A hundred percent. And Clea's friends and family knew that missing school and band practice, not calling home, and disappearing was not in Clea's nature. She didn't have a purse ID, extra clothes, or even money on her, and she didn't even have a bank account. They had a really bad feeling about her being missing, but the police just didn't take it seriously at first. Laurel was not willing to just sit around and wait until she could file the report, so she and her husband conducted their own search in the woods opposite Dr. Amos's property and the surrounding streets, but they didn't find anything. They also immediately made flyers and plastered them around town. The Pine Bluff police finally accepted the missing persons report at 5 p.m. on May 10th, but Laurel did not feel as if they initially took it seriously, chalking up Clea's disappearance to a likely teenage runaway. 
I hate the fact that authorities' first instinct so often is to label a missing teenage girl as a runaway. Yeah, same. The initial report was super short and just mentioned a missing person wearing a two-piece navy blue and white short set, white socks, tennis shoes, and a white bow in her hair. Dr. Amos called the Halls on May 12th to ask if they had found Clea yet. They told him they hadn't. Shortly after this call, he left for a business trip in Dallas, Texas, and was gone for three days. While he was away, the police finally started to take Clea's disappearance seriously, and when he got home, the police were waiting to question him. He told them the same thing he had told the Halls, that Clea left his residence at about 8.30 and had gotten into a car. The co-worker who had also been there that night corroborated the doctor's account that Clea had left right around 8.30, but the co-worker claimed that she had been on foot, and they assumed that she was planning to walk home. I thought we had already established that she never walked home. Well, it was unusual, but she didn't live too far from the Amos residence, so it wouldn't have been completely unrealistic for her to walk. However, in the years following her disappearance, Laurel confirmed that Clea did occasionally walk home. But she always called home first, and one of her brothers would walk over to the Amos residence to walk back with her. She had never, not one time, walked home alone. So it seems pretty unlikely that on this particular night she would have made that choice. I also don't know how I feel about the coworker and the doctor giving different accounts as to how she left. I agree, and I'm not sure how the police felt about it either. At first, Dr. Amos was very cooperative with the police. He initially agreed to let them search his house. However, soon after he agreed, he got into an argument with an officer and suddenly stopped cooperating. He also filed a complaint against this officer for harassment. Did that complaint go anywhere? The officer in question was later fired, although the source material doesn't clarify whether or not his termination actually had anything to do with Dr. Amos's complaint. Regardless, because of the breakdown in cooperation, police had to obtain a search warrant for the Amos residence if they wanted to search further. About two weeks after Clea had gone missing, they were able to obtain a warrant. They executed the warrant but found nothing. Laurel has been vocal over the years about the wait time between Clea's disappearance and the execution of the search warrant, believing that the two-week gap gave Dr. Amos time to clean up any sort of crime scene. So, Laurel thought Dr. Amos was involved with Clea's disappearance? That's the sense that I got from her interviews in the source material. Police attempted to track down other leads and found the boy that many outlets reported as being Clea's boyfriend. They searched his car and home, but found no clues. He agreed to take a polygraph, but the results were inconclusive. He was eventually named a person of interest in her case, but was never considered a suspect. Did they have reason to believe that he might have been involved somehow? There was speculation that he may have been the person to pick Clea up from work that night, but there has never been any evidence found to corroborate that theory. It makes sense to track down anyone that she might have been close with and follow up with them. Being a person of interest doesn't necessarily mean involvement in the crime, just that law enforcement thinks you might have some information that could help solve a case. Exactly. And I kind of wonder if she had maybe spoken to that boy on that night. Police obtained the phone records for the Amos residence for May 9th, but they have never publicly released any of that information. Still, it makes sense that if they have a record that Clea and the boy communicated that night, 
they may have wanted to look a bit closer at him. Yes, definitely. Dr. Amos was the last person to see Clea and was also considered a person of interest. But when police asked him to take a polygraph, he refused. I don't love that, but we did go into detail in our last episode about how unreliable polygraphs can be. Personally, I don't think I would agree to take a polygraph if I felt like I was suspected of a crime. It's a double-edged sword. If you refuse to take the polygraph, you look suspicious. If you agree, you're placing your faith in hit-or-miss science that could ultimately be used against you, even if it's not in court. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And unfortunately, at that point, the case basically went cold. There were no more leads to follow up on, and Clea's family was left without answers. And that's the way the case remained for the next 18 years. 18 years is a hell of a long time to go without any progress in a case. I can't even begin to understand how difficult that was for her family. Yeah, I know. Me either. It's so many years without answers. But on March 29th, 2012, investigators executed a new search warrant on the Amos property. What caused the new warrant to be granted? And what did they think that they could possibly find now, almost 20 years after the initial search? Well, I can tell you that the answer to the first question is that a construction worker who had done renovations on the Amos property in the years after Clea's disappearance saw her story on TV and called in a tip. He stated that while he was working at the Amos residence, they had been asked to fill in a hole on the property with concrete. While completing the work, he had noticed that there was a foul odor coming from the area around the hole. That's a pretty damn good reason to get a search warrant. Yeah, absolutely. Police searched the property with cadaver dogs and evidence bags. They confiscated sections of drywall and insulation from the home and removed paper bags containing potential evidence to send off for forensic testing. Did the dogs hit on anything? Some reports say that they did, and some reports say that they didn't, so we really can't know for sure. However, there was no immediate hard evidence found, and the case would have to wait for forensic testing to come back. Ugh, that sucks. Forensic testing can take a long time. You bet it can. And in this case, it took an extraordinarily long time, because rather than sending off the evidence, it sat in the police station for months after the warrant was served. Wait, what? Yeah. In 2013, Laurel contacted the police to find out how long it would be before they would get the results for the forensic testing. And that's when they found out that a mistake had been made and that the testing hadn't even begun. That is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Definitely. And it wasn't until September of 2015 that the forensic testing did finally return. The results indicated that there was no evidence of blood or DNA that pointed to the Amos residence being a potential crime scene. Well, that's devastating. It's no new answers. Yeah, absolutely. Police Deputy Chief Terry Hobson, who has been working the case since Clea first went missing, said, quote, We looked, we hunted, we spent months searching, but she is just gone and we don't know how. We were told she walked out of that house at 8.30 p.m., but we have not been able to find a shred of physical evidence. So what are the theories about what happened to Clea? It basically comes down to three possible theories. The first is that she never left the Amos residence and was a victim of foul play, either at the hands of the doctor, her coworker who was there, or maybe even both of them. 
The second is that she got a ride from someone she knew, possibly the boy the police questioned, possibly somebody completely different, and something sinister happened. The third is that she did decide to walk home alone that night, and she was abducted by a stranger. I think that that last option is probably the least likely. Based on Laurel's account, this seems like it would be super uncharacteristic of her to do. I agree, and so do the police. They have stated that they do believe that they have some idea of what happened to Clea that night, but they have no evidence to back up their theory, with Hobson adding that, quote, We do believe she left the house that night with someone she was acquainted with. So it sounds like the police lean toward the second theory if they believe she did leave that house. Or do you think that they might believe that Dr. Amos or the coworker offered Clea a ride and that's who she left with? Maybe. It's frustrating. There's so little evidence to work with in this case. It absolutely is, and her friends and family deserve closure. It's been 28 years since Clea disappeared, and her parents are no closer to answers than they were in 1994. In 2017, Laurel told Dateline that, quote, When my family gets together for Mother's Day, we all think about her. My grandchildren will always ask, where is Aunt Clea? And I get tears in my eyes because I don't know the answer. Although Clea was 18 when she vanished, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is still involved with her case due to a provision of the PROTECT Act of 2003 known as Suzanne's Law. This act was named after a 19-year-old college student named Suzanne Lyle, who went missing in 1998 from Albany, New York. Thanks to Suzanne's Law, NCMEC is able to use resources like poster creation, media distribution, family advocacy services, and age progression technology to aid in missing young adult cases. Clashindra Denise Hall is described as an African-American female with black hair and brown eyes. She is 5'8 to 5'9 inches tall and weighed 120 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She has a surgical scar on the outside of her left knee and one front tooth is slightly chipped. She has pierced ears. She wore hair extensions and press-on nails and is right-handed with a slender build. She was last seen wearing a white two-piece short set with large navy polka dots on the shorts and navy blue stripes on the blouse. White socks, white sneakers, stud earrings, and a white bow-type ponytail holder. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Clea Hall, please call 870-541-5351, or you can send in a tip online through the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, which we will link to in our show notes and on our website. For all details and sources regarding this case, you can check the show notes or go to our website, calendarofcrime.com. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Calendar of Crime, and we'll be back next week with a brand new case from that week in history.